0: So we knew we didn't want to use ethanol and, you know, we're such big believers in terpenes and I could get down a rabbit hole on that topic, but you can run material through a CO2 machine, but your terpene concentration on the output is going to be varied based on the material you put in. Mm -hmm. And when you're applying to a medical market, you need a consistent product. A consistent product doesn't mean 2000 milligrams in one ounce. It means 2000 milligrams in one ounce with a specific and exact replicatable terpene concentration. Well, the only way to do that is to manage said terpene concentration. So we then figured out, let's take the terpenes off the top. Then let's get the cannabinoids. Then when we create our product, we'll put them back together. And that raised an interesting point. Well, how much do we put? Do we look back to the plant? What was in the plant? On average back then, a half to 1%. Okay. So it's like, do we put a half a percent? Well, we did that. Then we put 1%. Then we put 2%. What about 4? What about 8? What about 12? And we basically learned and realized along the way that the terpenes are way more substantial than a person might imagine when it comes to creating efficacy of these formulas and these medicines.
1: Welcome back to Gramps Place, where my guests and I discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. I talk with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. My guest tonight is Aaron Owens of Tejas Hemp. Aaron is a native of West Texas, a part of the world where a person's word is gold. His first passion and love has always been ranching, with cannabis coming in as a close second. Serving as VP of sales for Dutch Pro Liquid Fertilizers gave him the opportunity to develop his extensive network within the hemp industry. A hemp pioneer in Texas, he started working with extractions and custom formulations in 2015 and then formally organized his company, Tejas Hemp, in early 2017. As word of his product quality spread, demand skyrocketed and the business expanded rapidly. In 2020, he successfully produced their first successful hemp crop on two acres at his farm in Dripping Springs, Texas. Today, Aaron is in charge of corporate strategy and business development and focuses heavily on the implementation of the industrial hemp industry in Texas. His goals are to help Texas farmers make Texas hemp businesses a leader in the global hemp economy. Let's meet Aaron and hear his story. Hello Aaron and welcome to Gramps Place. How we doing? We're doing good. Please tell our listeners who you are and a little bit about your background.
0: My name's uh, Aaron Owens. I'm the uh, CEO and founder of Tejas Hemp. Um, over here in dripping springs born and raised in west texas uh pretty much grew up in a ranch type environment working a lot of stock in the summers and so forth and uh had an inkling for cannabis at a pretty early age got caught with my first plants when i was 17 thankfully that was by my folks and not the law so it wasn't an issue and it was obviously just for personal at that age um so been tuned in for quite a while, you know, I, I got on the trail and I went out west really early on, Um went through California, went through Colorado and kind of was a little bit ahead of the curve in a sense. And I really just didn't want to live in those places. So I decided to come back to Texas and I went back to West Texas and started ranching and uh figured to myself, it'll come to me. And so I put about Ten, twelve 12 years full-time out in the desert and uh, have leaned more and more into full-time what we're up to now.
1: Okay, cool. So uh, your company or farm, Tejas Hemp, is headquartered in Dripping Springs, right? Yes, sir. That's actually where the farm located also?
0: So we, uh, we headquarter here. We do have a farm here. We farmed here in 2020 for the first time we did 4,000 plants on two acres right here on the main road so that everybody could see it and embrace it. And I'm close enough to the town where with a south wind, you could just about smell it in town. Uh, you know, two acres by hand for two guys and and then a bunch of volunteers, which was really wonderful. But it's just, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. So Yeah. Pretty much thought we needed to scale down and 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 focus a little more on we'll just scale down to something that wasn't going to break our back, or we needed to scale up and I was fortunate enough to align with a vegetable farmer in Lukenbach, who shares a lot of the same philosophy and infrastructure that I do, and you know he already knew how to run plastic mulch and drip tape and already does all that and has a whole crew and they produce forty to seventy acres of vegetables every year and has interest so once we aligned we kind of went oh man this is really good we can either scale back and dripping or we can scale up in lukenbach so this year we did three and a half acres in lukenbach as kind of a trial run to see how we did with each other's teams and it was a total success and and now as we move forward um it looks like we're going to go ahead and farm in both locations
1: okay cool so for those of our our listeners who are not familiar with texas because i of course goes everywhere Tell us where Dripping Springs and Lueckenbach are located. Man, Dripping Springs used to be a sleepy little community about 15
0: minutes west of Austin. We're just southwest of town out towards the hill country. Used to just be a little blinking light with some some ranch type people and a bunch of swimming holes. We're getting pretty popular now. Um, Lueckenbach is just a little further west from here into the hill country out towards Fredericksburg. So it's about an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes west of Austin out on a famous little creek with a little dance hall and a little post office and a farm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we are, Central Texas, just, you know, west of Austin out in the hill country.
1: Now, as you stated, you you spent some time out in California and Colorado. You started in the hemp industry before this venture in Texas, right?
0: Absolutely, yes. I mean, being on the cannabis trail early, you know, I went out there and I hit the trail and I was involved. I mean, in two thousand one I graduated high school and I was immediately in California and I got a medical marijuana prescription. I was up in Humboldt vibing everything and you know, I wasn't quite ready to move to the hill in Humboldt and I was I went through Oaksterdam and checked that out when they came out down in Oakland and I always just really paid attention to the politics and was really excited about this path and this wonder is this gonna happen in our lifetime and and then um made it over to Colorado and and was kind of got involved there a little bit. And, you know, it was really like, well, I don't really want to move there just yet. So I came back to Texas. And, uh, at some point in there, a buddy of mine got a, an exclusive distribution deal with a hydroponic nutrient company out of Holland. And at one point during my 10 year venture in the desert, he drugged me off the river and put me in a motor home and sent me across the country to distribute hydroponic nutrients and so we took that on and that was fun I thought well here it is we're going in and we went in and we made it about nine months before the guys over in Holland you know they basically broke the contract and things went things went south and it was all above and beyond my pay grade it had to do with egos and bad decisions on their end in my opinion but one way or another I was back in the goat pasture before I knew it And, and then about 2015 you know, the original Farm Bill in 2014 started a pilot program and a lot of people didn't know it and some may still not. But, you know, we have been actively cultivating, extracting, manufacturing and marketing hemp legally since 2015 in the U.S. It's just been in very select states, states that decided to participate. So okay. if you institute of a higher education or a state department like a department of agriculture for example you were able to participate and colorado was one of those states so having network there and friends i had a buddy that he basically wanted to create a portable seek he not wanted he did he created a portable co2 extraction unit in a 40 foot trailer with the concept of being a service provider and so he basically wanted to provide a service for the farmers who were going to get into hemp and that service was to extract their hemp into oil and then that was what he would do, so, in the very beginning, you know, I mean he pulled in to get some welding done at a welding shop up there that happens to be you know extended family of mine. They called me right away. We talk, we discover c b d next thing you know he's extracting oil on a farm at a ranch up there and and they're sending it to me, and I'm writing a check to the ranch for the oil, and I'm writing a check to my buddy for the service, and I'm down here trying to move oil in West Texas. this is two thousand sixteen and you know nobody you know most people didn't know it was okay was it legal it was a real challenge you know and uh we figured it out pretty quick what worked and uh, once we figured out what worked we started putting it out in the in the West Texas network and 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 sure enough soon enough you know I couldn't move everything we were extracting and at the same time it figured out that you know the farmer doesn't have demand the farmer's a producer he wants to just get paid so we evolved that business model into purchasing the biomass, then extracting. And then the state of Colorado came around and they said, hey, you guys need to be indoors. So we evolved to a brick and mortar. And um, and then we moved indoors. And then the story goes on from there. And so I basically have been participating from day one in the realm of extraction practices, processes, manufacturing, designing products with the intent of efficacy and how to preserve the integrity of the plant and how to get the plant from the field to the product, maximizing efficacy and preserving the integrity of its offerings. And that led us all the way to 2020 when, of course, we finally were able to produce here in Texas. And that's when, uh, you know, we produced here. I mean, I started all this in 2016 and on paper in 2017 when finally someone said, hey, you know, this is real. You should write this down. You should get it, you know, you should make this official. So we got official with Tejas Hemp in april 2017 before that i just worked out of my ranch account pretty much that's how we got to where we are
1: in a a nutshell well you you and your partner you talk about extraction y'all are involved in developing new technologies and methods for extraction tell us a little bit about that
0: sure so my partner in colorado is called evg extracts um and essentially in the beginning it was a CO, you know, you you have a basic choice in the very beginning, CO2 or ethanol and ethanol is a scale and uh, CO2 is a quality. So we went CO2 and we, as we moved forward, the demand was just skyrocketing and it was like really hard to keep up and CO2 machines are expensive. And so we got another one and then we got another one. And then it was like, okay, at this growth rate, we're going to need to buy this $3 million machine over here to keep up. And then six months later, you know, we're going to need one, three times that size. And this is just, it's just not the path. It's not the path of scalability. But, you know, our whole emphasis has always been on efficacy. And we definitely feel and believe, and I'm pretty sure everyone in the industry at this point, that when it comes to quality product, CO2 is superior to ethanol. So, so we knew we didn't want to use ethanol and, you know, we're such big believers in terpenes, and I could get down a rabbit hole on that topic, but with CO2, we we figured out how to cold trap our terpenes off the top and then reintroduce them. Well, that was a big breakthrough for us. It was like, you know, you can run material through a CO2 machine, but your terpene concentration on the output is going to be varied based on the material you put in. Mm-hmm. And when you're applying to a medical market, you need a consistent product. A consistent product doesn't mean 2,000 milligrams in one ounce. It means 2,000 milligrams in one ounce with a specific and exact replicatable terpene concentration. Well, the only way to do that is to manage said terpene concentration. So we then figured out, let's take the terpenes off the top, then let's get the cannabinoids. Then when we create our product, we'll put them back together. And that raised an interesting point. Well, how much do we put? Do we look back to the plant? What was in the plant? On average back then, a half to 1%. Okay, so it's like, do we put a half a percent? Well, we did that. Then we put 1%. Then we put 2%. What about 4? What about 8? What about 12? And we basically learned and realized along the way that the terpenes are way more substantial than a person might imagine when it comes to creating efficacy of these formulas and these medicines. And so we discovered that, you know, a certain percentage, which is, you know, it's, we, well, I mean, I don't even mind saying, I mean, a balance of around about 5% is where you maximize your efficacy without losing a person based on their palate. If you have a cannabis palate over 5%, you may love it because it tastes like cannabis. But at 5% is where you can kind of go, okay, like all the people that aren't used to cannabis, they can still handle this, but it's really, really effective. So now we've got the scaling issue because we've got all this demand. We're making this high-quality product. Anytime we put it downstream in someone else's stream, they, they can't ever switch back because it's superior. And so how are we going to scale? Well, we tried ethanol just to prove to ourselves and our peers that we were our inclination was right, and it was inferior, and it was, in fact, inferior. And so it was like, how are we going to scale? We don't want to buy these CO2 machines. That's not going to work. Uh, My partner up at um, EVG is credited, he had a light bulb go off, and he basically had a brainstorm of an organic extraction process that he then went down to the patent office and was able to patent, and that process is called Terpex. Now, essentially what's going on, I can't say the exact final detail that gives it all away because it's not my right to do that, but what is happening is there's a it's a certified organic by the you know powers that be we have a certified organic facility and a certified organic process we're using a solvent that allows us to scale the same as ethanol but said sol- said material that's acting like a solvent it is an organic material mm-hmm. so imagine using an organic material that allows you to extract at the scale of ethanol while preserving the integrity of the molecules the same as CO2. And that's what we figured out how to do. So we call it Terpex. So at this point where we are is we needed to scale terpene extraction as well to keep up with formulation. So we basically figured out with Terpex how we can take the terpenes off the top of the material, whether it's wet or dry. And we can do that at scale. And then we can go back and we can get the cannabinoids out of the same material at scale. And now we can formulate, but then we run into the next challenges, which is, okay, we figured out how to get it out the terps at scale. Now we got cannabinoids. Most people want a winterized oil, you know? And so it's like, okay, well, how do people winterize oil? They mix it with ethanol or, you know, some form of alcohol and they put it in a freezer and and that's what separates the fats and the lipids. It's the oldest trick in the book. That's how you build a vape cart. Well, why would we go through the trouble of all this and then mix it with ethanol or alcohol? You know, that's not going to make sense. And so we literally just came up with another process that's a basic low technology process that filters out said lipids, lipids and fats. So now we figured out how to get the terps out. Now we got the cannabinoids. Now we're winterizing the oil. We still haven't touched ethanol in any, at any point, okay? And then there's that last trick, you know? It's like, do you want to remediate this oil? Do you want to remove the THC? Well, in Colorado, no one ever cared. And in the general overall efficacy argument, remediating the oil is not moving it in a more effective direction. It's moving it in a less effective direction. But lo and behold, your West Texas boy down here circulate, you know, I'm covered by conservative Republicans that, you know, down at the end of the dirt road, they're probably burning one themselves, truth be told. But the majority (laughs) of the economy in that small town is oil field. You know, it's folks that have to take a drug test and they just risk their livelihood. And so I kept saying, we got to remediate. We got to remediate. Well, you know, the number one path to remediation in our industry is through a process called chromatography and in the process of chromatography you take your oil and you mix it with either an ethanol or a methanol or some form of alcohol and you run it through this chromatography machine and somehow magically you filter out the thc and then you cook the alcohol back off and boom you're to what's referred to as a distillate Okay, well, once again, we got all the way to here, why on earth do we want to mix our stuff with alcohol? So we refused to do that, and we never did that for like many years until we figured out how to remediate that THC without introducing alcohol. So where we are today is we use a now patented process called Terpex created by the uh, EVG extracts, and... We are taking the terpenes off of the top of material at scale. We're taking the cannabinoids out. We're winterizing the oil and we're remediating if desired. We're reintroducing terpenes and we're creating what I feel like sciences. I mean, in science, it's like you can't beat this. It's the most effective formulation of a cannabis product. So that's where we put all our focus on is that is is how do we make the most effective thing from the plant? period once we figure that out okay now we'll go worry about what comes on downstream
1: and it's proven to be very positive for us yeah and when you're talking about when you're talking about putting the terpenes back and you're talking about two three four and five percent you're talking about percentage of terps right correct so if you look on a you
0: know let's can we talk terpenes for a second (laughs) terps So terpenes, it's like, what are they? Well, they're these funny essential oils that exist in all of cannabis. And the big aha moment is when you go, what's the difference between a sativa or an indica? You know, so I'll ask you, um, Gramps, what, what, you know, brief, you know, what's your quick answer to the difference between a sativa and an indica?
1: The only thing I know about the difference is what you hear all every day is one's up, one's down. You know, the, the typical, right. the typicals. And you're right, and that's that's
0: totally right, and that's all of us. We learn from our own experience. This one makes me go lay down. This one makes me want to get up and do something. So sure. when you start to study how and why, I mean, I remember when I used to think, what is this, the THC level? Like, what's making this happen? What you'll discover is that there's these things called terpenes, and they only exist at a rate of a half to one, maybe 2% in general, on top of your cannabinoids, these essential oils. And in these essential oils, we can break them down, and let's say there's about 15 of them or 12 or 13 of them that are the main ones. Now, there's a bunch of them. But Mm -hmm. these ones, we can look at these these terpenes, these top, you know, baker's dozen of terpenes. And when we look at them, these ones on the left, if these levels are high and the ones on the right are low, we're getting an indica experience. If the ones on the left are low and the ones on the right are high, we're getting a sativa experience. And you're like, wait a minute. You mean this little 1% of essential oil that exists in this, Whole plant is driving my whole experience. That's when you go, Whoa, the power of terpenes is everything. Yeah. And then you look across the industry over the last five years and you go, How many of these bottles of CBD oil do we get that have terpenes in them? And the answer is one in a hundred thousand.
2: Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey, y'all. Are you enjoying the guests and subjects Gramps is bringing you each week? Did you know Gramps does this all on his own? No production team and no producers. Just Gramps. Please consider making a monthly contribution to help Gramps continue to do what he does in an effort to educate, agitate, and motivate millions to get involved. It is as easy as clicking on the link in the show description that says, support this podcast. It can be as little as 99 cents per month. As always, Gramps thanks you for listening and for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things of public interest. And so
0: it's like, holy cow, you know, you got all these people running around, they got the best this, they got the best that, and they can't even tell you what a terpene is. It's like, no, they don't, right? It's like the plant has the magic because it's the plant. And when you refer back to the plant, you look at the concentration in the plant. And then when you start managing said concentration in your final formula, that's when you dramatically start shifting the efficacy of your material. So boom, of course, here comes botanical terpenes true terpenes guys like that smart cats they were like oh let's source these different terpenes from mangoes and lavender and lemons and black pepper and let's get them and let's mix them together at the same ratio that matches a cannabis strain and then we'll put them in and that'll be a thing and it is a thing that's why you get you know, sour diesel vape pens and pineapple express Delta eight flower and whatever. So now you have botanical terpenes introduced. So the next question is how did they get those terpenes? What were those processes? And when they put them back in, are they as effective? And the yes. flat out answer is absolutely not. They're nowhere close to it. It sure makes you feel good anyway, that you got them in there. So, so terpenes are everything. And, and, and when you start looking at Type 1 cannabis, which is you know marijuana, there's every terpene combination you could imagine because there's enough heads out there that have been breeding for so long that we just have a little bit of everything. But when you spend four or five years extracting hemp, you look at all those terpene profiles, you go, hold on a second, I'm seeing a pattern. 99, let's just go ahead and say all of the terpenes that I've ever seen up until the last 18 months are dominant in one terpene, and that terpene is myrcene. And that's the end of the story, there's a few other ones, but that's it. Well, what is myrcene? It's an indica. It's literally the heavy indica. There is no sativa. There is no limonene. There is no terpenaline. It doesn't exist. And so it's like, hold on a minute. You got all these people telling you that they're selling you a sativa hemp flower. You got all these people telling you, you got the sativa this, the da-da-da-da. That's all artificial. So
1: that's, what you're, that's why you're starting to hear come out in the industry a lot, people talking about there is no difference between sativa and indica. Not the flower in, is the flower. Right, in hemp. Because yeah. why?
0: Because in hemp, you can find this out real quick. All you got to do is do a terpene analytic on it and read the terp profile. If the terp profile is heavy in myrcene and beta-caryophyllene and low in limonene and terpenaline and osamine, it's an in indica. And guess what? That's what they all are. So why is that the case? And the simple answer is that we've only been focused on type 3 cannabis in the U.S. for the last 10, 15 years. And we just don't have the decades of intentional breeding to create different terpene profiles yet. So basically, it's like saying all red wine is the same because it's red. And there's nothing that's that's the furthest from the truth possible. So, so essentially, on that path is what led us to what we cultivate. And, you know, 2019, the market crashed and CBD went to the floor finally. And like, OK, now we can get real and start focusing on other things than the price of CBD isolate. And, you know, as a cultivator in Texas, it was like, well, we don't want to grow CBD. What's that going to do for us? I mean, we want to grow seedless mold-free flour, and that's what we want to monetize as a farmer, but the biomass game is kind of out. So I'm looking around and I'm like, why am I going to grow the same stuff everybody else has? And what happens if I seed or mold? I'm not going to have any value. And fortunately on my path, I found a gentleman that I've aligned with and has now become my genetic partner. And they put seven years of breeding into creating the genetics that they have. And what they've done is they've taken type one cannabis, which is marijuana, type three cannabis, which is hemp. And they've basically, the first thing they did was they bred up all the propyls and we can come back to that, but that's the CBDV. So once they stabilized the propyl side of the type 3, they started bringing the terpene profiles over from type 1 to type 3. So you breed 1 and 3 together, you get a type 2, and then you keep moving it over. And after about six and a half, seven years, where we are today is we literally have one genetic for each terpene forward. So what I mean by that is we now have a terpenylene genetic, which is a super sativa, we have a limonene genetic, which is a sativa. We have an osamine genetic, which is getting into your sativaline hybrid. We have a pinene dominant. We have a beta caryophylline dominant. We literally have one of each. So okay. in 2020, it was like, I'm looking around and I find these guys, and I didn't even know they had the whole library yet or that that's what they were working on. But I quickly identified that the terpene profile they had, it was marketed to me as a CBDV genetic. And I'm like, CBDV, that's interesting. Let me look at the terpene profile. Holy shit. It's got, pardon my language, it's got beta-caryophyllene to the max and limonene right behind it. Myrcene is nowhere near it. Well, who are these guys? And what is this? CBDV, what is that? Well, here's what I know, is that if I'm a Texas farmer and I grow this flower that no one has, I have an edge. If I get molded out or I seed out or I have the unfortunate circumstance of an outdoor farmer, which happens all the time, I'm hoping that there's value in CBDV, meaning that I can go to extraction and there will be value. And that's exactly what we did. And we grew that first crop and we went to sex our plants. And I mean, we went all in. It's 2020. It's 80 years of prohibition, a lifetime of dreams all coming to fruition. We had our whole little community of Dripping Springs involved. Everybody's excited. And we go out to what we call sex, our plants, meaning to identify the males and the females. Sure. And out of 4,000 feminized plants, we look up and all of a sudden we're seeing these male parts. And I'm like, well, this isn't good. 95% of our plants hermaphrodited. Oh, wow. Which means that they groom female and male parts and they self-pollinated and they seeded. And I'm like, no. We never had a chance. Well, that's not good. Thank goodness there's a plan B in this whole program, right? So we Mm -hmm. finished everything out, and, and it just so happens that we grew a phenomenal CBDV genetic. Out of the two genetics we grew, one of them put out numbers of THCV that's so high that no one on Earth has ever seen it, and most people don't even believe it. And when they see it, they're not even sure what to think about it. But that was a win for us. So basically, we grow CBDV. That's what we do. We're looking at a terpene profile. We went to plan B. We got CBDV. So CBDV, what is that, right? It's like, what is THCV? What does any of this mean? Well, for what, 50 years, people focused on THC. Mm -hmm. Let's get THC up. Let's get it maxed out. And then it was like, let's get the CBD up and go in a different direction. And then after CBD, it was like, oh, let's do this CBG thing. People kept focusing on one cannabinoid, Mm -hmm. right? Very few corners of the world do they focus on terpenes. A lot more in type one than in the business we're in hemp. But, you know, there's this other thing called a propyl analog is, is what I call it. And all of our cannabinoids exist naturally, but many of them, more than I think, more than I know, more than we see on a lab result, have a mirror image of themselves in their propyl format. So what that means is, is that CBD, and I'm not some chemist, all I know is that CBD is a molecule. It's a naturally occurring pentyl molecule, whatever that means. CBDV is the same molecule, but with one little different thing, making it a propyl analog. Well, when we braid up CBDV. We don't breed up CBDV. We breed up the propyl analogs of all the cannabinoids that naturally exist in both forms. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now what we've done is instead of focusing on one cannabinoid, we're focusing on bringing up every single one of them that exists in that propyl analog, meaning that we just brought the minors up to a level that they've never existed. So now we've got this football team with 140 people on it. CBD is the quarterback. And we instead of breeding up the tailback and the wide receiver, we just bred up the whole team at the same time. So it's super exciting. And so now we have minor rich, you know, cannabinoid profile, just basically meaning better medicine. That's what it all boils down to. Yeah. And um, and that's kind of where we are right now is like we have these propyl analogs and we've got these boutique terpene profiles. You know, what are we gonna do with them? I mean, that's where we are now is the industry is just now and we're still a couple steps ahead but you'll see CBDV is the next thing it will be the next thing THCV is already becoming popularized people are starting to hear about it it's a mythical unicorn that no one can get their hands on um this is what this is where we are this is where we are in medicine right to make the make the oil better
1: this is what's happening okay cool Interesting to say the least. <laughs> I'm not a chemist either, but <laughs> and I'm not a chemist
0: either. I just understand football and that if we make everybody stronger, it works better, and that the cheerleaders are really important as well. And those are the terpenes, and and most of what you see on the market is a B team JV with no no cheerleaders, mm-hmm. and a lot of people they put the quarterback up against the whole other team, I AKA isolate, you know. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. this that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> you know. You need yeah. every and you need their integrity to be there you don't need damaged cheerleaders with torn up suits you need fresh and bright cheerleaders with all their uniforms together and the only way to preserve all that integrity and the cannabinoids and the terpenes is to treat them right through extraction which is expensive and it takes way longer you know it's way harder of a path and it costs way more money and it's less efficient to go this path but you get the better product you get the more effective Product. and that's what we bet on long ago this is what we believe in this is what we stand for we're going to get over on a little bit in the beginning because that's the path but people are going to figure it out and the more they get educated and or the sooner we can get our material when someone's downstream once they go here they can't ever go back yeah going for efficacy
1: yeah i agree with you though that's all you hear about now uh on, like i'm on linkedin too and and you see it every day, people talking about I got this c b d isolate, I got this isolate, this isolate delta eight over here, you know, ready to go i mean it's too
0: easy for someone to come in and and just be able to create an isolate i mean to me, you know it's it's just too easy. Anybody from any business with financial resource can hire a chemist and they can figure out how to isomerize c b d isolate into a product delta eight, delta ten delta whatever it doesn't matter, okay, and that's fine. But, you know, remember Spice? Remember K2? You know, I'm not want to sit here and talk down on anyone's business, but it's also like, you know, all Spice and K2 was, was a synthetic cannabinoid called JWH-018. And when the Chinese or whoever figured it out, probably somewhere in Israel, because they're like the most smart about all this on an actual studied level, they figured out that JWH-018 traveled the same neural pathways as THC. But it existed in these microscopic amounts naturally. And so they were like, what if we just make a bunch of it? Does it get us high? Turns out it does. It does all kinds of wild stuff that we never imagined. And so they started manufacturing it, spraying it on herb or whatever, different kinds of herbs. And boom, people were getting high legally without failing a drug test, you know? And so that was Spice and K2. And then they ended up shutting that down. And then like where we are today is it's like people are just synthetically making that's not all synthetic i mean semi synthetics so that synthetic's not a really good word to be honest but yeah. you know the bottom line is you're, everybody's chasing this isolate and the only rationality is that oh it's got to be pure because we're western medicine and we got to be able to have the exact the same thing it's like if you're thinking like that you've gone lost they got you the man has you right mm-hmm. it's like we're here for for naturally occurring gifts from the plant and they're naturally occurring at different concentrations, and they're all important, and it only works like it works naturally if you keep them all together, and that's what we, you know, focus on.
1: Yeah. So I've been to your website, TejasHemp.com. Yes, sir. And and you offer several products, um, from tinctures to salves uh, to gummies. Uh, Tell us about your products, and and is there any one particular one that you're most proud of?
0: Sure. So... First off, my website. If you've been there, I, I apologize. It's 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 at like eighty percent. It's like I, the last thing I know how to do is, is run a website or build one, and it's 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 a real frustration for me. I'm a i am a completely understand. I'm a goat <laughs> sucker, not a uh, website guy, but it is your most valuable real estate and business, and nothing's going to get around that. So over time, we've continued to work on it, and thanks to the help of my friends, it's gotten to where it is. Um, you know, what's funny is the you know, my relief, okay, my my first tincture that I made, I now call relief. You know, when, I, when I'm building my tinctures in 2016, I'm in West Texas where people are scared to death whether or not it's legal. Most of the people I'm around are either really wealthy or really poor. And most of the friends of mine that need this stuff are poor. <laughs> I mean, you know, cowboys. And it's like, I got this this saddle maker, he's 72 years old, and he's coming down with Parkinson's. Doesn't drink beer, doesn't smoke. Good friend, and his son's like, "Hey, you know, do you think this oil will work on on dad?" I'm like, "Well, let's try it." So we give him full spectrum, we give him 25 milligrams twice a day, and five days later, he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. He thinks mm-hmm. he's right. Then I knew I had something, and and that formula is the same formula that I make today, and I was designing it based around him. And I'm thinking back then, a 2000 milligram, it cost $200. And, you know, he's going to have to take 25 milligrams twice a day. That's a 40 day supply. And I'm like, it's kind of expensive, you know? And so I basically decided that what needed to happen was I needed to build a 2000 milligram bottle and I needed it to cost this man $4 a day for 30 days. And if he takes a half a milliliter, which is the equivalent of about 33 milligrams twice a day, that would be a solid 30-day supply for him. So I priced and designed this bottle at $120. So it's $120. Bucks because why? Because I want it to be a 30-day supply for $4 a day, $2 in the morning, $2 in the evening. He could afford this. And that made sense. So all my tinctures are built around that concept. So... My full-spectrum CBD that I'm talking about, I call it the relief. It has 8% hemp-derived terpenes, 8%. That is more than most people desire on their palate, but it's also insanely effective. So from there, I did, you know, CBG came along. So I I discovered that I believe that a one-to-one ratio is most appropriate there and effective. So I do a full-spectrum CBD, full-spectrum CBG, one-to-one, also at 2,000 milligrams. 5% 5% terpenes. And then here comes CBN. We got to incorporate CBN, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, now we're putting people to sleep. So this product's called sleep. I do a three to one, 1500 milligrams CBD, 500 milligram CBN, 5% hemp drive terpenes. It'll put you to sleep. And then uh from there, it's like, okay, there's all my tinctures. Well, then we started, we figured out, well, of course, we figured out how to make salve early on. So we make a full spectrum salve. I call that relief salve. And then we figured out how to make gummies. Of course, our gummies are organic and vegan and they don't melt in 120 degree Texas heat. And once we figured out all those particulars, I made a gummy for my full spec CBD, my CBD, CBG, and my CBN. And then the product that I'd say I'm the most proud of is probably the oil from last year when we started growing the CBDV. What has happened is when we grew this, These propyl varin genetics, we did our extractions and we were ending up with 36% C B D V, 36% C B D, and 22% THCV. I didn't even know what we'd stumbled onto, but this oil I now call it focus because the THCV to me it does make you increases your focus. Are you familiar with THCV at all? Yes. It's the only cannabinoid that blocks your cb1 and cb2 receptors it's the only one that does that what does that mean it's a mild suppression of appetite a boost of energy and it's a heavy heavy blood sugar regulator so as i get frustrated with the challenges of all the different things and social media and websites and everything i get a phone call from a lady down the road she's like you're not going to believe this i'm like what she's like i've been taking this focus oil every day just like you said And I was pre-diabetic and my mom was getting real concerned and I just left my doctor's office and I am no longer pre-diabetic. And I'm going to hold on a minute. Don't blow smoke. Let's nail this down. And and the end of the story is that I have two people around me that were pre-diabetic that are no longer pre-diabetic after taking this oil twice a day. So I really got motivated and I took it to people of all walks of life. I took it to hippies, non-hippies, smokers, non-smokers, drinkers, non-drinkers. Every single human that has consumed my oil has lost weight. And I'm just like, mine's blown, you know? So it's, it's, I mean, all I did was what I learned with my team, and that's take the terpenes, reintroduce them, keep it wholesome. But I'm the most proud of it just because it is like, it's, it's, it's so impressive what it's doing that I'm afraid to sell any of it in bulk. I like, I just want to put it into the, the right kind of product and get it to the right demographic, which is the hardest part, especially when you're inundated with, you know, everyone taking Delta 8 and thinking that they found the end of the rainbow. Yeah. So I'd say that, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. The focus, the focus is what I'd say is I'm the most proud of. And then, and then the last thing that we, you know, the most exciting thing is Delta nine gummies. And the fact that I even describe them as Delta nine, that's like so appalling. We just make old fashioned cannabis gummies and we do it from hemp and it's completely legal. And we figured out how to make an awesome gummy. that's five milligrams THC. With 25 milligrams of CBD, and of course we add a couple percentages of terpenes back in there. And when you take this 5 milligram gummy, it's just like a 10 milligram gummy. So that has got me all kinds of inspired, all over again. And here we go,
1: let's take it to the world. Absolutely, absolutely. So besides your website, tejashemp.com, tell our listeners where they can find you, find your your company, if they want to reach out, if they want to do some shopping. Sure. So
0: TejasHemp.com is the obvious. Uh, you can you can purchase there. You can inquire about wholesaling there. We also are on Instagram and Facebook at Tejas Hemp. Um, we're available locally here, super local at House of Jane over in um, Drippin Springs, as well as the Wimberley Paleo Pharmacy. And then also down in Austin at the uh, Custom Botanical Dispensary. And I hope I'm not forgetting, uh, there's a few others out there that have grabbed a few products lately. We really just uh, are super local still and looking to turn on, um, you know, resellers statewide once we pull our head out of the lab and start, you know, continue figuring out how to
1: put all this together
0: properly for everyone to use.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your evening to join me on here and, and tell us about your company and what all you're doing.
0: Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you uh, feeling inclined to invite me, and uh, yeah, thanks a bunch for what you're up to, you know, folks like you spreading the word.
1: Well, you know, I'm all about getting getting legal here in Texas and, and across the nation as well, but I'm all about helping support the Texas uh, businessman as well, you know. us yes, Texans got to stick together.
0: <laughs> Dang right. Well, I think we're on track to be, we're a force to be reckoned with, We're the 10th largest economy on earth. And if we play our cards right and we preserve, you know, we regulate our market right so we can preserve the margin in the products, the most of us will succeed financially and in business altogether. And I hope that's that's what I hope for us. And We don't need we really don't need anyone else. We kind of sort of have everything we need here and uh, not saying we want to close the doors, but I'm rooting for us as well. I just hope we I want us to hold it together. And I want us to get ahead far enough where the big boys from outside of here can't just squash us with their, you
1: know, resources. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, thanks again for joining us, and I want to thank our audience for taking time to listen. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Hope I didn't uh, confuse anyone with all that kinds of babble. Gramps Place, where Gramps and his guests discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully in prison for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. Gramps talks with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.